Welcome to Tenet Men. Welcome to Tenet Men. I am your host, Steve, and I am joined by Kevin, and together we are going to complete a methodical review of Christopher Nolan's 2020 epic high-concept time travel film, Tenet. Uh, we'll be doing a minute-by-minute analysis of the film, conducting, conducting a temporal pincer movement on the film itself. I'm on the red team, moving forward through the film, starting at 21 seconds, and my co-host Kevin is on the blue team. Kevin, how are you today? I'm good. I'm inverted, so this is a little difficult for me. But <laughs> yeah, it's it's got to be it's got to be really complicated uh, just going through life with reverse entropy. Yeah, it's a, it's a challenge. It's like being dyslexic, but in a good way. Ah, uh, that's debatable. <laughs> Today is episode two, and we are starting from. I'm starting from uh, the one minute twenty one second mark. And what what minute are you starting from? I am starting from the. 20 or two hour, 21 minutes and 21 seconds, uh, Mark. All right. And moving to the, uh, 23 minute, 21 second Mark where I started last time. Right. Okay. Uh, so I think we should just jump into it and I think red team goes first, which would be me. Yes. So, uh, I have, I, I think I mentioned pre-show I have, I have what I think is actually an uneventful minute. Uh, but I think that's okay because you have a jam-packed minute to, to mm-hmm. share with us today. Uh, I also want to mention I watched this movie again this week because I was on a long flight. And I thought, oh. well, why not? Why not just watch it again? <laughs> and every time I watch it, I need to start taking notes while I watch it because, uh, you know, I just think of so many more things. And th- something's broken. Something's very good. Um, yeah, I don't know. You just pick up on a little bit more every time. Yes, and that's why we are dedicating so much time to each minute because there's the movie moves so quickly, and I think it does that because uh, it doesn't want you to think about the mechanics of it. It just wants you to enjoy the ride. <laughs> yes, but there's interesting things going on that worthy of discussion. There are some minutes, by the way, that's going to be like hour long episodes. Like I'm, just, I just know it now because uh, there's some stuff that is so wild to think about. Yes. <laughs> yeah, especially when we get into multiple protagonists, multiple meals on screen. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Uh, for a future episode, but for today, uh, one minute, 21 seconds. Right. So picking up where we left off last week, uh, we see uh, at the one minute, 21 mark, people in the crowd terrified of what's unfolding. Right. These terrorists have just come into the opera house. Uh, they're shooting guns, waving guns and doing all sorts of uh you know, crazy things. Um, at the one minute 27 mark, we cut, this is, the, this is the interesting part, right? We cut to a Ukrainian guy in a van who says, wake up the Americans, right? And then we have our protagonist flipping shells out of his gun, um, which actually is pretty cool because it's like, like the, the shells flipping and like doing stuff is kind of a theme throughout this movie, Right. It is. I have one question already. Okay, um, go ahead. Why do you think they're asleep? I don't think he was asleep, right? Oh, no, I know what you're getting at. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not saying this is an inception, but... <laughs> okay. 
I thought that's exactly where you were going, but okay, uh, go but, ahead. Uh, 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 having been a service member, uh, I can say that I have fallen asleep on many missions and I have many stories about <laughs> sleeping through very important missions. Um, so I understand they might've been sitting there a while, but it's because sleep is going to come up here in another question I'm going to have uh, either in this minute or another minute you're going to cover. Okay. But the fact that they're awake, they're all asleep and they have to be woken up and the drivers know they're asleep. It just, it, I, there's, I, I'm not sure what there's going at there. Were they sitting there for a long time and they all naturally fell asleep? I don't think they were really sleeping. Were they? I think, I think definitely the protagonist is sleeping because that's why he checks his gun to make sure it's still loaded. I thought he was flipping it like just out of boredom, like kind of just like waiting around, like they're waiting and like, he's just like killing time by like, you know, catching Um, shells. Well, normally you would, your gun would not be loaded or, or a round would not be in the chamber. Um, prior to going out on a mission. Like if you're sitting in a car with a bunch of people, you wouldn't have a gun around a, a in the chamber. So even when for, he pulled, C- when he, even for so CIA, when he pulled, I don't know. They all operate with different rules, <laughs> but I wouldn't. <laughs> and I would lock, I would lock and load when I got out of the vehicle. I would chamber around when I got out of the vehicle. That's how I would operate. And that's, but other departments and other agencies have different rules for this. But by him, uh, um, uh, checking by um, ejecting a round uh, is ensuring that his gun is still loaded. Like it was loaded when he went to sleep mm-hmm. and it's still loaded when he wakes up, ensuring that there was no tomfoolery with his weapon hmm. while he was sleeping. That's just me. But I, 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 th- I think that question goes unanswered throughout the movie, why they were asleep. Um, but it, it, it's something of note. All right. <laughs> It is. It is okay. That's that's interesting. Uh, there is other. There is. There are other sleeping moments in the film. So you're right. Um, I don't know that I like what you're getting at, but we'll get. We can explore it further. Uh, like the other the thing U- was oh. part of like uh, the other thing that could be is part of the Ukrainians' deal, whatever it is, with the CIA or whoever or whatever organization this is, is that okay? We'll we'll bring we'll infiltrate your team, but we have to have them asleep when we pick them up. And then we'll wake them up when we get to wherever it is. Hmm. I, there's... So I think the origin of this mission is actually like the opera house siege. And well, I think we know what the siege is about, but like how the CIA gets involved uh, and how, you know, our protagonist specifically is involved. Mm-hmm. Uh, like there's a lot of question there, actually, that I don't think we do get an answer to. Yes, uh, that's true. Like, are those drivers on whose payroll are those drivers on? They're Ukrainian. Are they on Sater's team? Are they double agents on Sater's team working for the CIA to infiltrate the protagonist and the CIA into the team? Um, there's, a, there's a lot there. <laughs> well, like also, I think, you know, in the first minute we get the Ukrainian chatter over the radio and you asked the question last week, like, is that like, what's, what's happening over the radio? Mm-hmm. I listened to it a couple times, and it does sound like Sater's voice. Oh. Um, and it, I'm, I mean, I'm guessing it's it's in reverse, right? It's not because yeah. it's not. It could be Ukrainian. I wouldn't know the difference, I guess. But <laughs> <laughs> it feels like it's in reverse, and it's Sater's voice. I, I'm 99 sure it's Sater's voice. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. In fact, like I feel like it could be the speech that's probably happening in one of your minutes in a couple episodes. Yeah. 
It could I, be. I feel like it could be that. Um, but then if those guys are picking up Sater's conversation, right, then they must be in. Yeah, right. They're, you know, they're in on it. Uh, yes, possibly double agents. Maybe. Oh, maybe double agents. Yeah. Who knows? Like they were they're on the CIA's payroll, but they're working for Sater. And that's how they're able to infiltrate his operation that's going on in the opera house. Let me ask you this then. So back back to the, we're going to go back to the minute here, the flipping shells. Like, do you think there's like some kind of thematic thing about shells flipping through the air, whether in like forward time or backward time, or is that it, right? It's just telling you, are we moving forwards in time or backwards in time? Like kind of like a, like an inception totem. It, yes. Well, we're going to get to totems. But it, <laughs> it looks good. It looks cool on film. It's a badass thing to do. Um, and I was just like, but like no one overthinks things. So I try and overthink things that even something that looks cool would have a meaning to it. And that's why I dissected. Well, if I was asleep and I woke up and I was about to run out on a mission, I'd probably check to make sure my weapon was still it wasn't replaced with a squirt gun or something. Okay, that's fair. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's just, that's preparedness. Maybe he's going to look at the bullet and be like, hmm, maybe they changed my ammo. I don't know, you know? <laughs> I'm still not sure he was sleeping, but we're going to get back to that too. I'm going <laughs> to, that's a, that's a follow-up for next week. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, so yeah, this is the first time we see our protagonist. Uh, he's with a couple of other, I guess, Americans. Um, and uh, we cut to, let's see. Oh yeah, we get some nice music when uh, when the camera hits them too, which is always very cool. The music drops in here are very very timely always. Um, One forty two emergency vehicles are pulling in, um, and then we see the insignia of those response teams, right? Oh. And that's very important as those emergency vehicles pull in because those are the patches that the Americans throw on their uniforms, right? So that they can more easily blend in. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that they have like patchless uniforms in the first place actually like and i don't know if this is intentional but like it just made me think of like crimea like when the you know it was russia we all know it was russia took over flag operations (laughs) right right but they were patchless soldiers right uh (laughs) which is like really creepy if in my opinion i don't know against the geneva convention if you are if you you are a soldier (laughs) of a nation you need to wear the insignia of said nation yeah uh anyway (laughs) i don't know if anyone else thought of that but uh, also, you know, it being in Ukraine, Russian influence, all that. Um, and, that and it goes along with the the double agents are the Ukrainian drivers. Here, we smuggled you the exact patches. Oh, yeah, yeah. They're like, this is exactly what they're going to wear. Right. So yeah. get, put them on now. Yeah. Um, cool. They put on their patches at 153. They depart the van. They start running. Uh, and they just, they fit in seamlessly with the response teams that are also running towards the opera house. Um, they're running in, you know, like single file lines as teams. Um, <laughs> I've made a note here. We're 90 seconds into this movie and things are unfolding very, very fast. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's like, it's all gas. <laughs> yeah. Um, at 2.06, we finally see the sign National Opera House. So now we, we know it's the opera house. Um, at 2.08, we see our protagonist running down the hallway. Teams line up at the dropped gates. This is 2.15. My minute's almost over already. Um, <laughs> at 2.20, right, with one to two seconds left in my minute, uh, the large gas tanks arrive in unison. 
Uh, by the way, like what an awesome response, right? I mean, like if there was like terrorists attacking an opera house in the U.S., there would never be a response this coordinated and this carefully executed, right? Like this is mm -hmm. a very good response to a terrorist act. So kudos to the Ukrainian <laughs> response teams. Um, <laughs> large gas tanks arrive in unison and the protagonist, we get a shot actually at 221 of the protagonist watching this stuff very, very carefully. Uh, and mm -hmm. that's the end of my minute. Let me ask you wow. a question. Uh, do like our gas tanks, is that a thing that like any coordinator response team would use to knock out the, uh, to not try and knock out the terrorists, I guess, but then also the hostages. I have never heard of such an agent. <laughs> <laughs> that was going to be my question was I didn't do like it, it because it almost works way too fast. Yeah, it does work fast. Yeah, it's like the whole audience falls asleep, like instantaneous, um, and I believe all the terrorists are in gas masks already. They put them on, so we'll see that yeah. in my next yeah. minute. In they your start. Next minute. Okay, they start putting the gas mask on when they uh, they notice that the gas is coming in and people are passing out. Hmm. And I think this also might be in our rewatching of it, knowing the events of everything that's happening. You're saying, "Oh, that was very timely." But posterity, if yes. you knew this is going to happen, you'd be 100% prepared for this to happen. So do you think, so the Ukrainian government or whatever, whoever runs their response teams, are they like prepared or, or are these response teams also just part of this coordinated effort to part of, part of tenant to protect, it's, to protect the MacGuffin, <laughs> the, per, the, the temporal pincer movement is already happening to the point where as soon as, um, the one side executes their strategy. The other team already knew what they were going to do and had something in place to counteract it. Uh, so that you have you, it's like three dimensional chess. Okay. As we'll see as we go into the movie, but we're, but as you're experiencing this movie, it's happening so fast. You have no idea. Like you're, if you, you know, logically you've asked me a question like, Oh, well that's pretty convenient that they'd be able to uh, subdue all the guests that quickly. <laughs> as neil says right weaving more uh timelines into the fabric of the mission which yeah. i think is a great segue to your minute yeah let's get into my minute here um okay so my last minute uh end or started in the car with prima and we are going to now travel backwards uh to the last conversation the protagonist has with neil and it starts with the line You've known me for years. Okay. Well, just prior to my minute starting, uh, the protagonist says, you've known me for Neil's years. Neil responds, for me, I think of this as the end of a beautiful friendship. Which, yeah. of course, is a line stolen from Casablanca. Uh, perfectly fits uh, in here. Um, the conversation then goes as follows. The protagonist says, uh, but or questions him. But for me, this is just the beginning. And as Neil begins to walk away, he goes, and we get up some, some stuff. You're going to love it. You'll see. This whole operation is a temporal pincer. To which the protagonist asks, whose? Neil says, yours. You're only halfway there. And I'll see you at the beginning, friend. And then Neil goes into the the chopper. Uh, he goes into the Chinook, and then this begins Neil's voiceover, which is 
I believe this is the only use of voiceover in a film that has been, as we've stated, all gas, all <laughs> all action, all barely any exposition. Um, to then get a abstract voiceover to what, like, when did Neil say this, and who is he talking to? But uh, so uh, we heard the end of it um, in my last minute, but it begins here as we transition from Neil walking into the chopper. Um. He goes on to say, we're the people saving the world from what might have been. The world will never know what could have happened. And then we switch over to uh, a cat standing outside of the school. And Neil's voiceover continues. And even if they did, they wouldn't care. Because no one cares about the bomb that didn't go off. Just the one that did. That's a great line, by the way. <laughs> yeah it's fascinating and it picks up later to finish off the movie so that's only uh the beginning of his voiceover um I, but before we we can go into the car with prima and her henchmen but uh, so <laughs> the insinuation that they are friends in the future which is now neil's past is a pretty good cap to this movie are they but <laughs> they are friends in the future from our perspective but we don't know that it's future future it could be past like like the protagonist might spend the rest of his life just traveling backwards in time but then no because it's fated that they would be friends in the future so he has to go i don't know that well, it's just like why Neil has to go back in time to open the door. There's he, no choice for him. It's already been made. Well, what's happened's happened. Yeah. Which they say so, a lot. Yes, which is the theme of the film. It's just like what we'll get to it when he's practicing picking picking up the thing that he can't pick it up because he had to have picked it up. So in right. a sense, he's dropping it into his hand in the future or whatever. Yeah. It's you. You have to imagine that. It has happened. And these if you are clued into things that will happen in the future, it doesn't change. You need to complete the mission. It, that needs to happen. There's no getting around that fate. Yeah. So the idea that they, there's no doubt in Neil's mind that everything he's experienced with the protagonist is going to happen. Sure. To the protagonist now. So everything he's lived, he's loved, he's eat, prayed, loved, whatever, will happen for the protagonist. But for him, it's over. This is the end. Yeah. And that's him. Uh, that's his goodbye. And he gets the voiceover in the end. The only abstract voiceover of the film, as far as I, I know. But there, there might be other ones in there if I, if we, as we dig into it. Now, here's my question. Um, if the protagonist and Neil are friends in the future, why did Neil come back, but the protagonist didn't? What do you mean? Say that again. So, oh, they're friends. They both exist in the future, but only Neil is the only one who came back. Yeah. So their, their timelines separate at some point and Neil just, Neil's the one who is constantly moving backwards through time. Yes. Um, and now my own, my hypothesis for this, and I think it would tie in beautifully, uh, 
to the ending with Neil getting on the chopper to go sacrifice himself um, is that sometime in the future, the protagonist dies. Okay. And that's the turning point for when Neil starts traveling backwards as far as he does. Cause it seems like he goes extremely far backwards. Perhaps. Yeah. Cause you can only travel backwards in time at the same speed. You currently are traveling forwards in time. Correct. So if you need to go back, like let's say they were friends, buddies, teammates, partners for five years, you then have to sit in a <laughs> shipping container for five years, <laughs> sit in the windmill uh, for five years to go all the way back to before you knew somebody. That sounds painful. Uh, and, but he also says like they're only halfway there or he tells, yeah. he tells the protagonist that you're only halfway there. So how much time transpires in the movie? It's like three weeks or two. It's like two or three weeks. Oh, fuck. So this guy's going to be dead in less than a month. <laughs> well, you're well, assuming he dies. Well, yeah, I'm assuming the death, but. But wouldn't he have to? Wait, no, uh, you're right. <laughs> well, I, I mean, but, the, you know, we don't have to take that at face value, right? That's just. Uh, yeah. You know, because no. I think my a, assumption, yeah. a lot happens in those like two or three weeks. Mm-hmm. Also worth pointing out now, now like in that minute, in your minute now, your minute, my <laughs> minute are the exact same point in time. Correct. Exact same point in time. Mm-hmm. Yes. When they're talking after the bomb blows up, uh, that's like the exact same time as the, the opera house siege. Well, and they're in both places. I know. And both, both <laughs> of them are in both places. And the question of how Neil gets over there yeah. is still in play. At what point does Neil travel over there to do what he's going to do? Yes. I, we'll get into it because uh, there's other things in the next minute that are also um, in question. At some point, <laughs> at some point, he goes all the way back, right, to to the Opera House siege, I guess, to to make sure that the protagonist is successful and doesn't get killed. I'm not exactly sure. Like, what's his mission What's his mission in being there? Well, okay. How about this? Or is it, it temporal? Is it part of a temporal pincer to make sure that there's, that's what it is. It's gotta be that. So. Cause he's traveling backwards. What if the protagonist in the future saves Neil's life and in return says, you now have to go back and save me. And that would be the most tenant thing. That would be the most palindrome thing and um, poetic thing is that um, Neil's life is saved by the protagonist dying in the future. He travels into the past to ensure that the protagonist mm. not only survives at the opera house, um, but also completes the mission. Maybe I don't, they're not really into saving each other's lives. They're more into just doing the mission, completing the mission. Right. And the mission in this case would be to run a temporal pincer on the opera house siege to make sure that the algorithm ends up in the right hands at the end. Mm-hmm. I got questions about that algorithm too. <laughs> the algorithms, like there's always an aspect in Nolan films that are just like, come on. And the algorithm is kind of that. Yes. Right. I think it's also like the Tesseract and Interstellar. Like, come on. <laughs> uh, there's always a little something, but 
yeah, the algorithm. Uh, yeah, there's other stuff too. There's I found a huge plot hole in this movie, by the way, the last time oh, I watched it. Well, that's why that's it's it's paced so quickly. <laughs> yes. Because it's full of plot holes. It's full of wait a second. <laughs> I feel like I found a bad one though, that like really kind of ruins it. Uh, okay, I'd be interested because I the but also within the structure of it, I can usually explain away stuff. But it's also all gobbledygook. It's also just all made up nonsense. But mm. I'm interested, uh, and don't don't spoil it because I don't want to overthink it. I'm okay. going to try and answer it as it comes up naturally. I will. I will. Okay. Um, do we? Want, okay. So the final scene in my minute is the interior of the car. We already saw during the voiceover. Cat uh, is standing outside of the school. Um, uh, Prima is sitting in the uh, the front seat of the car. Uh, the driver is next to her with a uh, silencer. Uh, a silenced gun sitting on his knee. She says, do it before the boy comes out. Then the rear door opens. Um, a dull thud is heard. Uh, the driver is shot. And the protagonist says, that's your idea of mercy. So the idea being that uh, Prima is now trying to clean up everybody who is aware of or knows about the algorithm and the temporal pincer. Um, and she's going to kill Cat. Um, before her son comes out to see her die. So it is a, it's a form of mercy, but she's kind of taking this to um, an unhealthy level of murder. <laughs> Got to tie up those loose ends. Yeah. Uh, but that what? is cold. That is cold blood. That is not heat of the moment fighting for something. It's just assassination. hundred percent. It, I know you're reading the script. How is her name spelled in the script? Prima. P R I Y A. Oh, there's no M. Okay, you kept Priya? saying Prima. It's I'm Priya. Sorry, sorry. It's Priya. It's Priya. I'm yeah. sorry. No, it's okay. Just want to make well, sure. I made a joke about dyslexia. I'm seriously dyslexic, so sometimes <laughs> I put letters into things that, uh, <laughs> or I just say things the way I think they should be said instead of the way they are spelled phonetically. Um, we forgive Priya. you. Priya. And also, I always thought, I thought like her name was like a, a play on the word prime. Mm, okay. That would just be very confusing. <laughs> so Priya is the name I should have been saying uh, the entire time. Oh, just one other thing I noted from the script is um, uh, in the, in the notes, it states that it's snowing at the Stalag um, uh, location, which is not seen in the film. Oh, really? Yeah, the final um, uh, the final portion of Neil and the protagonist's conversation, the stage direction, I guess it's called, uh, states he pulls up his collar and walks into the snow. Hmm. So that final scene should have been shot in, in uh, snowy Interesting. Russian skin, which is probably was just logistically hard. I was wondering, uh, like, where did they film this last scene? Because it's a weird spot. It's a really weird spot. I, I was also thinking that, like, if you see people running backward, if, like, you're going back and forth with the shots, would you see snow going upwards? I think that was something no uh, one really wanted. But they were probably like, we can't pull that off. <laughs> we can't well, pull that off. especially without the CGI, right? He does everything yeah. with CG. He doesn't do anything with CGI. So he would have just literally oh reversed. He would have filmed things, obviously, forward and then backed it up. But, yeah, that would have been very logistically difficult. 
Yeah, but it also would give you a clue as to what you're in the perspective of. Are you in the perspective of somebody going forward because the snow would be going down? Are you in the perspective of somebody going backwards because the snow would be coming up? Because they cut back and forth. Yeah. So. <laughs> Next week is going to be even better. Next week, we uh, yeah dig into further into the Neil and protagonist conversation. Yeah, and we're going to get into the the meat and potatoes of the opera house siege because <laughs> yes. it's still we're still just setting this up like it's it's going it's going to go down and in, i have questions in your movie the protagonist has not even spoken yet <laughs> he hasn't no he hasn't spoken yet uh and there's just there's just so many questions that uh, are never going to get answered <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> well we're answering them for you the listener oh uh, that's that's cute to think that we are <laughs> And if you have questions, send them to Tenetmen on Twitter. I promise I'm going to start doing something with that name. Uh, at Tenetmen on Twitter. Tenetmen. Tenet, uh, tenet, tenet or Tenet? Tenet. Did I say Tenet? I, I, I go back and forth. They say Tenet in the movie. Yeah. Tenet. 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 Okay. Tenet. Tenet. It's one of those words. If you say it enough, it's just going to be nonsense. Uh, well, with that, folks, thank you for listening to the Tenet Men podcast. Uh, if you enjoyed this program, please take a moment to follow, rate, and review this podcast on whatever platform you found us on. Uh, and rest assured that we will continue our temporal pincer movement of this film. Until next time, we'll meet you at the beginning. Friend. Friend. Friend? Is that? <laughs> I'll see you at the beginning, friend.